Hello, the recursive community. My name is Elena and I'm the country lead in Romania, the recursive. Today I am going to be your host while I pick the brains of a founder who is aiming to revolutionize in-store advertising with robots. Ionuz Vlad is the co-founder of Tokinomo, a technology company that uses sensors, motion, light and sound to bring shelf products to life and increase shopping engagement. No wonder the disruptive startup has received very awards like Impact Star by Deloitte and Most Inventive Startup by Lafresh Tech Romania in 2022. With a background in graphic design and fine arts, Yonutz honed his craft as an art director at Saatchi and Saatchi before launching his own game-changing project. Hello Yonutz and thank you for joining the podcast today. Hello Elena and uh, hello uh, your uh, you know followers and uh, various social platforms. I'm very glad to be here. Oh, we're happy to for for you to join us. And since you mentioned before starting the, the podcast that you play games, let's also play an imagination mm-hmm. game. Can you walk us through your customer journey in a the supermarket these days? What makes you choose a product over the other? And how has this changed for the better or worse uh, since joining the marketing field? Mm-hmm. Actually, this is uh, very core to our business. So this actually is the kind of the root of our uh, idea and, and product. Because uh, what uh, I've noticed by uh, actually spending countless hours in supermarkets and other types of stores, I got the chance to actually watch the shoppers' behavior and what they are doing. And uh, I kind of drawn my own conclusions. I'm not sure if everybody agrees with me, but uh, uh, I think the most important uh, part of choosing a product is actually to uh, make that product visible. So mm-hmm. that's number one. And, uh, you know, typically a uh, guy from the marketing, from uh, some of the, you know, brands, they are investing a lot in uh, in the brand, in the packaging. Uh, also, you know, the price uh, plays, of course, a big uh, role. But all this comes to nothing if the product is not visible. You know, it's basically... And um, when you are actually going in, into a supermarket, you are blind to most products simply mm-hmm. because you are mostly on autopilot mode. So you actually don't... Uh, you have your own thought process, so you don't really pay that much attention. Usually you have a mental list or a written list mm-hmm. and you try to kind of follow it. But uh, outside of that, uh, I mean, there are in a supermarket thousands, not thousands, tens of thousands of products, right? So it's very hard to actually pay attention. And also, you are actually walking, you're not uh, sitting. Mm -hmm. So you literally don't have the attention, the attention span, the uh, ability, you know, to see every product. So basically, uh, every product that is not seen, it's a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. So this is why we came up with the solution, trying to make the products more visible to give them somehow, a, you know, an unfair advantage towards uh, their competitors because mm-hmm. they kind of uh, it's hard to not notice the product when you are using uh, our uh, our solution. So, and I don't think that uh, has changed because this is like uh, you know human nature is not. I mean, uh, starting from when the supermarkets were invented, I think it was sort of like. I don't know, the first supermarkets probably, I don't know, mid-war, uh, between the wars or right after the war. So 
I don't think uh, much has changed actually in this kind of uh, behavior. So the shelves are, you know, pretty much there. Uh, people are trying to use different ways to entice the shopper to buy the product, but uh, otherwise the shopper journey, more or less, more or less, is not that different. Thank you. I understood the the, the entrepreneur journey, but I definitely want to tap into your your journey mm. what's the last thing that you went in a supermarket and bought and why did you pick that product over another one was it mm -hmm. the color was it maybe it's a bias you know you in the middle is is the most high-end product yeah. and on top is expensive lower mm -hmm. cheaper let me think let me think actually it's a good product a good question sorry um Actually, last time I was in a supermarket, I had a very specific list because I was very much in a hurry. Mm -hmm. So I was missing a couple of things and uh, I went kind of straight to the point and then mm -hmm. got out. So it wasn't maybe the typical shopper journey, but uh, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, yes, okay. So you don't want to tell us that it was maybe wine or chips. Your, what, what do you eat I when we play? Well, I will tell you, of course, <laughs> you know, like uh, healthy, bio food and uh, uh, also ethical food, you know. Kale chips and yeah. avocado toast, right? <laughs> right. Uh, of course, I buy, I bought so soda and chips and uh, chocolate, but uh, mm -hmm. that's, uh, I'm not going to uh, admit this in front of the camera. So. <laughs> um you 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 play with technology you work in technology but how, where do you draw the line uh, to how far technology should be integrated in your life mm -hmm. both professionally and personally mm -hmm. well i think despite the hype with the te technology in the last few I don't know, years uh, for me technology is not is nothing by itself you know it's not technology for the sake of technology it serves to a purpose right mm -hmm. so uh, that was the case in uh, for us I mean when we started we didn't have the idea okay let's do a technology tech startup you know mm -hmm. for us it was more like solving a problem in the space that we were familiar with and we did that by using technology because that was the you know, the smartest way or the best way that we thought, you know, it was so. Uh, and I think the same goes for almost everything. Uh, so uh, if it helps, then it's perfect. If not, then, I don't know, pen and paper, it's equally fine. By the way, pen and paper, they were very much technology in like, mm -hmm. you know, 15th century. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is how I look at technology and also actually I'm not sure if that relates to your question or not, but I just want to say that in my case it was an interesting journey because I'm coming from a creative background so mm -hmm. I studied arts I'm actually a professional painter mm -hmm. so I did like from uh, you know to the animation uh, from graphic design as you mentioned art direction uh, I don't know, a lot of mm -hmm. stuff in the creative uh, area so I wasn't necessarily in the tech sector knowing much about although I uh, did some programming just as a hobby you know and uh, but I wasn't by any means uh, professional but I didn't know anything about uh, electronics about uh, this kind of stuff so uh, but I've noticed something quite interesting that my creativity I think helps a lot because uh, I think the best uh, engineers have this creative uh, approach to things because otherwise uh, they wouldn't 
uh, invent stuff, new stuff, and think of because there are always changes. Mm-hmm. So if you are kind of a stickler to the rules, you will always come up with the same stuff. While if you are creative, you're you're trying to bypass certain obstacles. Mm-hmm. Then the creative mind uh, you know, comes into play, and I think this. The two things are very much related. Mm-hmm. I would love to take you one step further to to, to, to walk us through your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, when did you feel like the bug bites you to, to develop um, as an art director and their transition to uh, founding Tokinomo? What are the, the core pillars there? Art director, founder, when, when did it start? Was it a specific moment mm-hmm. in time? Do you remember it? Yes. I, Can you paint I, it for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure because I didn't uh, quite paint in a long time, but... Uh, I used to work uh, for a lot of years in advertising mm-hmm. and uh, at some point I must admit that I got kind of, uh, not sure if bored is the right word, but I I couldn't see myself doing the same stuff, you know, and uh, I have always, I think, had this bug of starting my own thing. Mm-hmm. So that is one. Uh, secondly, uh, I... Even in, in my family, I had some examples of uh, I mean, my father, my uncle, they, they, were tr- they tried and some of them quite successfully tried to be entrepreneurs in the 90s, 2000s, mm-hmm. so a long time ago, but there was a bug, I think, in a family, you know. And then, uh, of course, the, uh, I had this, uh, I don't know, uh, my search for ideas, for... Uh, Okay, what I'm gonna do now? I'm I'm not really. I don't want to be an art director anymore. So what should I do? And then, of course, I'm uh, usually this is how it is in life. There are opportunities, uh, and when the time is right, they kind of appear in front of you. And it's important kind of to, to try to grab them. So I, and after I left such and such, I used to work for a retailer, mm-hmm. uh, being in charge with the private labels. And this is where actually I spent a lot of time watching the shoppers' behavior and what they were doing. So I, I noticed right away this gap, like lack of visibility and what makes a, a shopper prefer certain products versus others, mm-hmm. right? Which are not quite apparent. I mean, not surprised. It's pretty simple, but not a lot of people uh, kind of think that way, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, all these experiences combined, so working in advertising, doing in-store campaigns for large brands, working for a retailer, and me uh, trying to find that idea that will uh, make me um, yeah, an entrepreneur somehow, mm-hmm. uh, led to this uh, idea of, uh, you know, help physical brands be more visible and as a second layer actually getting a life on their own and let them interact with the shoppers. Mm-hmm. And one step further into building, tell, tell us about the process of launching mm-hmm. Tokinoma from ideation to funding to expansion, because yeah. I know you're present in over 40 countries. What were some of the challenges that you faced and uh, how did you move forward with them? Okay. 
It's a good thing that you mentioned some of the challenges because I, if I were to tell them all, uh, you ideation, need a lot of, ideation. Uh, <laughs> you, you told us, you told yeah. us how the idea came to fruition. Uh, yeah, I think uh, look uh, at the beginning. I didn't have honestly so big expectations. Mm-hmm. I was more like uh, you know exploring, and I thought, yeah, maybe you know something good will turn out of this, and I'll make some money, and uh, that's it. So. It wasn't, uh, I didn't uh, envision this kind of, uh, you know, global thing, a lot of people, uh, all this stuff, so funding and nothing of that kind. So it was, I was caught by surprise somehow by the evolution. It started when, uh, so I've read actually some some books. I was uh, trying to learn more about the startup ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to develop something. I wasn't quite sure how and why and what is financing and I was very much, I don't know, naive somehow. Uh, but I've met some people uh, and then I heard this idea that you need to validate your product. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I searched, again, I wasn't at that time at least a tech, tech guy, so I had to search from some people with some skills to develop a, a very primitive prototype just to kind of, you know, show the idea. And I started to, you know, pitch it to some potential clients, to some, you know, guys that I thought would be relevant. And uh, at some point we got uh, actual, you know, like contracts, (laughs) I mean, without uh, having the product. And so that was, I think, a good validation uh, criteria. And when the people are actually willing to pay money, for something even if it's uh, really you have a, pro- a primitive product kind of and uh, then so that that is one uh, one moment then we heard that a good way to you know start a startup would be to go to an accelerator mm-hmm. so we applied for some and we were accepted by a US based accelerator so we went, uh, me and my co-founder, Lawrence, in the United States for like four months. It was a crazy journey. <laughs> uh, completely wrong state, I would say, now. But still, we've uh, learned there the ABC of uh, you know founding a startup. And this actually, that was the moment when we uh, quit our jobs because that, uh, we were working up until then. So... And uh, we didn't know anything, you know, like equity, funding, why, I mean, uh, vesting, oh, what is that? I mean, why, how, I am I need to have all the shares right now. What are you talking about, vesting? What's mm-hmm. that? You know, are you trying to trick me or something? <laughs> so that was the you know, process. And um, then we got back in Romania. We had some more clients, campaigns. And then we thought, okay, if we really want to do this, we need to have some... Uh, Investors and uh, look for some, uh, you know, funding. And luckily for us, we didn't struggle so much with this. Uh, I think uh, something that helped us was that uh, the fact that we already had some proof of revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it was more than an idea. But we didn't have a product. I mean, the product was just a prototype at that stage. And uh, also during that period, I we start. I, I decided, okay, if we want to build the business, we we need a team. You know, like uh, we cannot rely really on external people to help us with the technology. So, also luckily for me, I had some 
pretty good friends that each had, he, he, and they still have uh, uh, their own skills, complementary skills, like one was passionate about product design and the mechanics, the other one was uh, into software. Uh, we didn't have a, uh, an electronic engineer, but we found one. Uh, actually, it's a funny story. I found it, him on the street. <laughs> so, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I, th I think I uh, told this story already, but it was in, a, in an electronics shop. I was looking for some components, and there was this guy who was speaking with the shopkeeper, and he was looking, he, he sounded very smart to me, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, approaching like, hey, you want to work with, <laughs> for yeah, me? Okay. And uh, he still does, you know, he mm -hmm. still, to this day, he works for us. So, um, yeah, I think so after we, you know, g gather around this, uh, you know, small team of people, we got the f uh, founding we needed. Uh, also, I think we got uh, fortunate somehow that we met the right people, the right investors, uh, which is, uh, I mean... What made them right? I think the attitude, uh, the fact that they were very somehow trying to help and uh, be positive and uh, not uh, uh, looking for faults, but rather uh, trying to correct the things that you were missing by being uh, supportive somehow mm -hmm. rather than uh, critical. And um, so I think actually I could name a name, Malin. I think I, Malin Stefanescu, who is also the president of Tech Angels, I think he was uh, quite instrumental in the, you know getting the first and the, also the following rounds. But uh, maybe, I mean, some other startups don't have this the same mm -hmm. luck, you know. Because I think uh, in, the, in the early stage, it's important to have some uh, investors that are uh, kind of cooperating with you, working with you somehow, not uh, being supportive mm -hmm. and uh, not seeing this only as a, a quick investment and just for, uh, you know, the quick win. How, how long uh, did you bootstrap before letting angel investors join so One year. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah. Yeah, we, we put our uh, skin in the game initially, so. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely want to tap more, give, if you have on top of your mind a challenge that you overcome during this scaling period. Mm -hmm. uh, let me think of the biggest. So, uh, obviously, one of the things is, uh, is the cash flow. Mm -hmm. But in our case, it's even more important because we also have this harder component, mm -hmm. which is uh, makes everything double or triple more difficult. So that that is one. Uh, and with the hardware, you you cannot iterate that easily. You know, mm -hmm. you, you you really want to nail the product uh, before you scale. Because in software, yeah, you can have a bug, but then. You know, you, you can solve it. Mm -hmm. But with hardware, it's like, that's pretty much it. I mean, if you uh, Factory mess cancel it up, that order. Yeah, like, <laughs> so that is one. Uh, then I would say, uh, well, finding the right team, I think it's all because, okay, we were a couple of, uh, I think, good guys to this day. Actually, I, I wasn't aware at that time, but now... I, I could I can see now that we were a valuable team. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the core team was uh, made out of uh, people with uh, strong skills. And I, was, I mean, 
Initially, I thought, you know, yeah, okay, I have this group of friends. Coincidentally, I had to work with them, but I couldn't compare them with anything, right? Uh, up until we got the chance to work with, you know, other high-skilled professionals and realized that actually my guys were pretty good, if not better, you know, mm-hmm. in some areas, of course. Uh, so that is that. And what was the question? <laughs> About scaling, challenges yes, while scaling, scaling the company. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the team outside of the core team, I think finding the right people, it's always a challenge. Mm-hmm. So that is like a... It's like uh, sandpaper, you know. You need to grind and to always polish the right team. You know, mm-hmm. it's very hard. I mean, the more people you are, the harder it is somehow to get the right balance between motivation, skill, uh, you know, hardworking, uh, nice guys. You know, it's it's always a challenge. And I think if any kind of founder would say that no matter what the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is that. Obviously, uh, oh, logistics in our case, logistics, shipping, exporting, which we didn't know anything about it. But imagine right now, uh, actually, we have some, uh, uh, we are having this event and we are preparing some cool numbers. Like uh, we did, uh, I don't know, hundreds of exports outside Romania and uh, it is uh, so hard in some countries. I mean, mm-hmm. You don't actually imagine European Union what what uh, kind of like a paradise it is from that perspective at least. Okay. I mean, shipping uh, anything in some places it's like I don't know. Like what? Like, Where like America like or Asia? I wouldn't name names, but <laughs> okay. outside Europe for sure. Outside Europe, okay. And it's uh, all the logistics and mm-hmm. the, the approvals from the you need to have approvals from the government. Uh, I don't know, it's crazy, really crazy. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing that uh, is prevent. Uh, well, it certainly makes things harder when it's about scaling. Um, what else? Of course, I mean, look what is going around. It, that like it was the best and the worst time to find a, to found a startup. I mean, like uh, you know, pandemic, uh, crisis, war, everything. So, so it's uh, good luck with that and hardware. So and. What but can you but you, it's good that you, you you have a support system. You started your um, company with your brother brother-in-law. You mentioned yeah. bringing on, onboarding friends and people mm-hmm. you meet on in a, in a, in a market in a, in a shop yeah. in a way. But that you felt that that person fits your your business yeah. culture in a way. So th- I understand that this is in a way. Uh, Uh, part of your business culture and how I want to say something here sorry to interrupt you about my founder Mm co-founder who is my brother-in-law that's quite an interesting story because Mm -hmm. we I think we are uh, very different like almost opposing uh, personalities we have Uh, but what was happening during all these years is that uh, so I I'm generally more like the serious type, more organized, more rational, and uh, he's the funky guy, the crazy one, uh, you know, with uh, juggle hustler, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, he's of course more likable because he's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'm more like in a, you know like a mad scientist in my lab. I don't want I don't like people. You know, he's like ah, blah, blah, you know, the Italian kind of type. Mm-hmm. And, but we started to borrow things from the other, mm-hmm. you know, and we started somehow to form a good team, but with 
effort. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. It was a process, and we almost split up at some point. But it was after we passed this difficult moment that we started to work really like a team. So I think there is a point, and if you are lucky enough to past that point I think you're good you know because that's I think one of the re- biggest risks when it comes to mm-hmm. having uh, multiple founders in a startup is that uh, of course you there is a big risk that you don't get along long term so uh, yeah it was a person it's funny to see now that he became more organized I became more uh, you know not yeah a little bit more extrovert trying I mean being able to you know speak with uh, mm-hmm. you know look I'm here like Exactly, you're speaking in an interview, you yeah. received the words and went up on stage, yeah. I saw you going to events. Yes, so this is the challenge. This is the challenge that I was looking after. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely want to s- sit a little bit more here because uh, communication team is highly important these days, especially when a company is growing. Uh, and you will, in the future, near future, grow your company even more. And I want to find out more about your business culture, the pillars. What do you look at when bringing new team members uh, to join this team, this core team, uh, so it doesn't de- destabilize it in a way? Um, but also to support the new team members flourish. If you are too many introverts, mm-hmm. an extrovert will destabilize you. If you are too many um, of the other mm-hmm. group, I think uh, I, I'm not sure if you can actually put a number on uh, you know extrovert and introvert. Like, okay, we need to have five extroverts <laughs> and uh, four introverts, and so uh, it's difficult, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, somehow they can make a team somehow natural. I think there are other values, though, that you can, uh, mm-hmm. you know, learn to appreciate and cultivate. Uh, we have. I, I'm not sure if at first we we it more was more down to our personal values that reflected to the mm-hmm. company, and now we're trying somehow to build the company culture and to maybe sometimes you are, we are doing it uh, intuitively, so mm-hmm. not really on purpose, but. It uh, people are uh, being filtered out, let's say, in a way. So I would uh, name a few of those, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Please. values. I think it's uh, one of the most important things is honesty uh, in what we are doing and what we are, how we are uh, uh, behaving, and not uh, shortcutting in the wrong uh, sense, and trying to be as uh, honest with each other, honest in business, like, you know, paying the taxes and uh, not be, you know, uh, not, uh, I don't know, steal in any way, or uh, being honest with the employees, like don't trick them, uh, being honest with partners, with business. I mean, rather lose, but uh, keep your integrity, mm-hmm. rather, uh, yeah. And, uh, so uh, that is one, which is, I think, I... This is uh, one of the most important things, which is not so easy, actually. In real business life, you get many chances to kind of somehow, you know, bend the rules. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that is one. Then I think uh, innovation and creativity plays a big part because, and that comes to the product somehow and then reflects back to the, you know, people create product and then the product somehow inspires the you know the people to create even more innovative stuff and we are 
trying to create unique stuff that nobody else did. So we are not comfortable in copying what others did mm -hmm. and make them slightly better. You know, we just want to make something different, which is better than what it used to be, but which is completely different, you know, completely different. I mean, it's the same kind of general space, of course. Everybody has an industry. Everybody has competitors in a way. Mm -hmm. But we don't try to make, uh, I don't know, a better table, you know. We are trying to make a piece of furniture that you, you never saw before. And mm -hmm. it's uh, better than a table, you know. Thank you. So we definitely tapped into the market. We tapped into the the, the founders and the team and the values bringing you together. Uh, I want to move forward to the product because you kept mentioning the product. Do you remember the first draft of the robot? Yeah. And how how different is it compared to now? The pivoting moment. It's uh, so different. It's uh, it's ridiculous <laughs> how different it is because I, actually I, I have a funny story about that. So. Uh, one of the first prototypes, uh, it was with uh, some sort of uh, siding that you are using in buildings. You know, like uh, it's called Dibond uh, or Alcobond. I don't know. It's, you you find it on buildings. You know, mm -hmm. and we use that to make the uh, how do you say the box of the you know, mm -hmm. product. Let's say the outside cover, and uh, we used to work with. Uh, manufacturing company and uh, I sent the uh, layout the, you know I don't know it was like a technical drawing mm -hmm. and they uh, cut the to a CNC machine and they bent it so you know to make, make the box mm -hmm. and the guy called me and said look um, we had so much trouble with your stupid product. I mean, it's crazy. We had people working for hours trying to make it right. And it's, it's crazy. I never had such a difficult product. And I was like, what's so difficult? I mean, it doesn't seem that complicated to me. And we, we've met with mm -hmm. that guy. And uh, actually, this guy, kind of the software, or he, he uh, misinterpreted the uh, actually, the I don't know millimeters with uh, centimeters or something like that. Oh. It, it was ten times uh, smaller. And actually, the guys. So it was like this, like a little <laughs> box. And the guys uh, painstakingly, uh, I don't know, manually uh, oh. put every hole. It was like a beautiful miniature. Oh. <laughs> Do you like, still have it? Yeah, we still have it. <laughs> Please crazy. send a picture. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, so that was one. Uh, okay. Another one was basically out of uh, wood, okay. uh, so it was that was interesting. Uh, luckily, they didn't uh, start a fire or something like that. Where do you produce it? Uh, where do we used to, or where we? Where did you used to, and where do you produce now? Okay, we used to do it locally, mm -hmm. one hundred percent, obviously, because there were prototypes. Uh, nowadays, we are, uh, I mean, our main product, we are still assembly it here in Romania, mm -hmm. but with some of the parts, of course, we are manufacturing in, uh, in other countries. Uh, and uh, the new products that are coming, it's a, it's a mix. So some of them are actually, we want to make it uh, outsourced kind of completely, and okay. the other one, uh, a mix, let's say. Mm -hmm. It depends on the product and the opportunity. So we are always trying to find the 
best uh, mix of uh, quality control and uh, costs and uh, logistics so it's a you mentioned the shipping issues so I that understand. also actually by the way it's <laughs> a big hurdle these days so yeah um <clears throat> Now, let's dive a little bit into the solution. So, um, I know about the, the first Tokinomo solution, the robot, the mechanism, yeah. and this is Shelfbot. Shelfbot, yeah. Shelfbot. Tell us about the two that you're going to announce. Okay. So, I don't announce them, you announce them. <laughs> right. Yeah, so actually, to the audience, we are going to have a big event, launch event on the 24th of March. So, everybody who could be interested just uh, visit our our page and you can uh, register there for our big global event uh, so we are launching two products uh, first one it's uh, an alternative to the shelf robot which is uh, kind of uh, smaller more flexible easier to scale let's mm -hmm. say Uh, and the concept is uh, what's up at the shelf so basically you can uh, communicate the products actually can communicate with you Uh, via a physical form of WhatsApp, but also it then gets to mobile on your phone and you can chat with the product on your mm -hmm. phone. So it's like uh, from mobile to physical space in, at the shelf mm -hmm. and then back to the mobile. So it's a, What's the name? Visibubble. Because it, you make the product more visible and it's a speech bubble kind of. Cute. And the other one? Uh, the other one, it's a highly, highly advanced uh, shopper analytic tool. So basically, mm -hmm. we can tell a lot by uh, um, a platform that uses AI to get uh, anonymous information on the shop, not on particular shoppers, but, uh, you know, statistical data on how many shoppers have passed uh, and what were uh, what was their demographic pro profile their level of interest their behavior so what they did around the shelf around your product if they uh, uh, showed interest towards the category or your product if they saw your product or not so all these kind of metrics we can provide and uh, this has been uh, you know in the work for at least uh, i would say one or two years so It's uh, one of the solutions that I think, uh, as we are doing it, there is no other, uh, you know, solution at that standard of uh, accuracy and uh, privacy and this kind of. Uh, so, we can use this solution together with our other two products, or uh, as a standalone, just to get the data. So, mm -hmm. it's up to the, you know, clients, the brands, the retailers, how you they want to use it. I'm curious for... And this one is called Shopper's Scan. Shopper's Scan. I'm curious. How, how, so we have the, the, the mechanical part, the gadget. Yeah. We have now the, the data. Uh, how, from the market, marketer's perspective, how will these integrate with marketing strategies, mm -hmm. social media strategies, influencer marketing? Mm -hmm. It's a, well, certainly we want to be part of the mix. We don't uh, have the intention to cover all aspects of mm -hmm. the you know, market, but I think they are quite complementary to each other. So, uh, for example, with the shelf robot, you can get a lot of, uh, so you have an interaction on the, at the shelf in the supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. That we saw that actually generates a lot of uh, um, free media views, viral, because it gets on TikTok, gets on Instagram, so people are filming each other, and uh, then the brands actually get free exposure. Uh, then you have this uh, Visibubble, which uh, it's uh, 
also much more you know cost effective and scalable and easy to install it runs on batteries so uh, we uh, show for what is like for highest impact if you want to um, for example launch a product or generate a lot of trial for your products to have maximum impact in sales and interaction then this is your uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, solution if you want on the other hand to have uh, like a day-to-day communication and to scale it make it really uh, you know on a mass you can use a VisiBubble anywhere, you know, like in pharmacies, gas stations, supermarkets, because it's very versatile. It's, it's small, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's fun, I think, also. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, one of the values, it's fun. I'm talking okay, about, yeah. We're trying to, to make some uh, everything, uh, you know, uh, we are trying to smile and we're trying also to make other people smile. And we also don't take ourselves too, too seriously. So I think... Uh, maybe the data solution not so much, but the other two have uh, something uh, I don't know quirky, something uh, you know funny and, and absurd somehow. They're kind of uh, you know between gadget, uh, toy, and business serious solutions. So it's like a mix of uh, craziness and there. Especially for the young generations, which are like connected to technology, yeah. they don't see. I mean, for maybe our parents. Seeing a robot in the supermarket, it will they will get it will get their attention, but yeah. they will be like, why? Okay, but for new generations, like they're second nature in a way. But I'm curious. Um, <laughs> so I want to do a, a follow up. How did this um, new products come to be? Uh, were they part of like your strategy or part of feedback that you receive from users? That kind of yeah, it's uh, very important to listen to the feedback and to learn from it, but uh, also not uh, have ideas based on the feedback, but rather come up with your own stuff, but your own stuff needs to be, uh, to take into account that feedback. So basically what I'm saying by that is, if a client tells you do that, you do not necessarily need to do that. You just need to listen to the idea behind and the needs and the feedback that he gave you, and mm-hmm. then trying to come, try to come up with your idea uh, how to better solve, because that person might not know how to best solve his problem. You know? yeah. And I think, the, the for example, the... Uh, shoppers can right? Nobody told us how to do it, but we saw an interest for the data. How mm-hmm. to, can we uh, know more on what's happening at the shelf? Then with the VisiBubble, we learned from uh, some of the challenges we had with sh- uh, ShelfAbot. You know, how can you uh, make it, uh, you know, uh, scale it better? How can you not depend on electricity from the, you know, retailers? How can you implement it in uh, in um, other types of stores? How can you make it more omnichannel? So this kind of stuff we learned, mm-hmm. but we try to come up with our own stuff, not to just uh, blindly kind of taking the feedback and uh, just putting into a product. So if I were to give you a feedback, for example, um, don't I think we need also uh, an AI bot on our app, on our shopping app, because a lot of we see a lot of users shopping mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. And would you consider, like, for example, tapping into AI and creating a, a bot that will jump out of, instead of having a banner, mm-hmm. To showcase a product or mm-hmm. something, it will be an AI bot 
that you could chat about a certain product while scrolling. Yeah, well, actually, actually well, I'm not sure what you're <laughs> saying, actually, but uh, Visibubble has an A component also. Oh, okay. So uh, there is this function where uh, you have the interaction with the... Visibubble, it's like a mini ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's, so you have the physical speech bubble that... Uh, it's uh, near the product, the physical product. So the product kind of speaks with you with a physical WhatsApp, let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay, But once you scan a QR code, you get to continue this conversation on WhatsApp. And the conversation is AI generated. Mm-hmm. So you can actually ask things about ingredients, uh, you know, actually everything that you, even crazy stuff. And you can have a conversation with, uh, with the product. So it's like mm-hmm. an... Chat GPT, but specialized to be like that product, right? Yes, I, uh, I understand this for the physical shopping, but what happens with like data from shopping that happens online, for example, mm. using apps to, instead of going to the grocery, yeah. you use apps to order. I'm not going to give names, but mm, I would see a bot jumping there. Hey, we have a oh, okay. discount. <laughs> <laughs> How do you measure the success of a Tokinoma campaign? Mm-hmm. There are uh, many ways, but one of the main uh, measurements is indeed uh, the you know the sales data. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, how impactful we were and what is the difference? You know, like uh, uh, how Tokinoma can uh, impact uh, the, can impact the the sales with uh, some comparing to some other stores that didn't have uh, Tokinoma mm-hmm. and. Uh, other ways is, uh, of course, uh, you can have, uh, if we, for example, increase the dwell time, or if we uh, increase the number of times the QR codes were scanned. There are a couple of metrics, but I would say sales is probably still, mm-hmm. and uh, by sales, I don't mean necessarily, sometimes it means that, uh, I mean, we cannot solve uh, the sales forever for brands by just by using their solution. But what mm-hmm. we do, we make people try out your product and uh, some of them will uh, hopefully become long term if the product is good and uh, has a, you know, like a long term benefit for them. Mm-hmm. So this is what we are doing best. Um, thank you. Um, we, we These days we talk so much about data access. We, we gather data. We don't know how to use it. But I want to take a step back from you, you wearing the entrepreneur, the business person hat and step into the um, recovering introvert or upgrading mm-hmm. okay. introvert, for example. How do you balance the benefits of technology, of evolution, of data with concerns when it comes to privacy and data mm-hmm. protection? And as an introvert and a business person, how do you see this? Where Where's mm-hmm. the balance? That's a very complex discussion. Uh, first of all, I, I think that, of course, privacy is important, and that's why even our data collection uh, solution is very much... Uh, it started from the idea of being uh, you know, ethical and uh, uh, not uh, touching uh, you know, the privacy of uh, individuals. But on the other hand, I think also that too much regulation and done kind of blindly also restricts kind of the business. I mean, sometimes I, I miss the days when everything was possible <laughs> because, I don't know, 
Okay, they were annoying, the pop-up banners, the, I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have to click so many times. Yes, I agree. Yes, yes okay, I agree with this, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. All this stuff some t and the regulations and the GDPR and the company need to go to this process. And so it's like the, there are companies who are making probably more money than you by uh, kind of uh, allowing you to comply with those rules, you know. It's like, mm -hmm. like, so I think these rules should be somehow okay they are good they they need to be cer certain rules but also uh they need somehow to help you know and i think some of the rules are not greatly implemented in my opinion so you know, but it's a process you know maybe in the few things will improve on that and now of course on when you are talking about ai that's like I'm not sure if I should open this chapter, but it's a, of course it's a big uh, it's a big it topic. I mean, we definitely need an AI to to click accept on all those mm -hmm. rules in a way, our own personal bot. Talking about from uh, data, but please update it. Uh, has been on the market for over five years. I would say uh, now we are uh, turning into our fifth year. Okay, you are present in around forty countries. Yeah, more than forty countries. Yeah. You have raised two million euros. More These are than sort that. of the numbers. Everything is like more. <laughs> you have three products coming. Yeah. Uh, you have over twenty um, members in the team. More than twenty. More than twenty. Then let's add another number. Yeah. Clients. How many clients do you have? More than <laughs> uh, we have depends on what you mean by clients. So we are operating mainly through partners. Okay. And uh, I would say uh, together with our partners, we have so many clients that uh, probably I should better count the ones that we are not working with from the <laughs> okay. FMCG space. But okay. we also have some direct clients, but uh, not so many because it is very difficult to operate directly in so many countries uh, mm -hmm. and usually. Uh, work in uh, some countries and uh, of course in Romania also the more direct to, with the clients. I'm curious how, about the go-to-market go feedback mm. when it comes to traditionalists that are were like, what is this? And even marketers. Yeah. yeah. How, what, what was the feedback there? That is, uh, that actually it's a good question, but uh, it's not so easy. We Whenever you are disrupting something, you will always upset somebody. And uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, you there are people who are used to doing the same old thing, and uh, nobody argues with... I mean, everybody is doing uh, flyers, right? mm -hmm. how they used to, right? Everybody was doing it, so, yeah, I mean, it's nobody will argue you know um, until somebody comes with a completely different thing which is better you know, like it happened with the email you know mm -hmm. initially everybody thought it was stupid why not sending letters and now it's unimaginable how to live without it so somehow we are trying to impose a new standard and mm -hmm. that uh, means convincing people that is better which is better by the way so I, I honestly believe our solution is the best solution in the world in terms of in-store marketing honestly i mean it's you not should, like, as the founder yeah, <laughs> you should but it's very hard to convince some people who are used to uh, do this uh, the same thing and also uh, some of the people in marketing are not actually uh, early adopters, just by you know nature, mm -hmm. uh, they are you know doing their job the, to the best of their abilities. 
but it takes some vision, some courage with the early adopters to, like in everything, to uh, try out new new stuff. And the rest, of course, they will see the others, and if uh, it's a success, then they will eventually pick it up. So pick it up. So uh, we are in the still in the process, you know, of uh, of doing that. So I would say. Being innovative is our biggest advantage, but also our biggest disadvantage at the same time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I wanna I wanna use this uh, memento momentum to to um, go a little bit philosophical in a way. Oh. Does the success of both NAI reflect a desire? for connection, for example, for talking to people in a supermarket, mm-hmm. for asking questions, hey, do yeah. you think this is better or this is better? Or does it demonstrate a willingness to prioritize efficiency over human interaction? Uh-huh. I want this information now. I don't want to go after somebody to get that uh-huh. information. Why well, it must be one or the other way. I mean, I think they can both uh, you know, be true. So I think it actually is both. For you, tell me about your opinion. How do you see it? Uh, you as a shopper, new, yeah, not you as, as a, a uh, an entrepreneur. Um, do you want to connect? Do you want to talk to people? Or do you no. want more information about that product? I'm an introvert, so I, an hate introvert. Pe- I hate people. So hate no, people. I love robots, but I hate people. <laughs> no, not you, of course. <laughs> I love you. Hello, I will speak <laughs> this now. <laughs> yeah, by the way, just for people who don't know, we actually don't do... Humanoid robots like you know, yes. like no. this. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's end on a visionary note. Looking back on your career so far, what are some of the moments or accomplishments uh, that you're most proud of and keeps you going? Not saying I'm done. Uh, if this, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer being an entrepreneur. I'm going back to our directing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and tell us this while looking forward um, toward the goals of Tokinomo, growing the company. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think uh, personally, although I tend to be quite critical of me, I, I think I need, and people have said this to me, that I need also to look at the you know positives and try to somehow be proud of myself, right? Which I tend not to be, by the way, but... Uh, I cannot help but notice that I did, uh, I was forced somehow to improve in certain areas, like, like for example, pub- public speaking, mm-hmm. even this interview. I mean, I don't know how I did, but I think I did a, a, at least mediocre, okay? So, you did good. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, back in the days, I was like not uh, even willing to uh, mm-hmm. show on a, up on a, you know, on a camera, so I was very you know, shy and uh, I didn't want to be in the spotlight. Uh, so that is that. Then, uh, of course, uh, running, uh, leading people. I mean, that was, uh, it's one thing to lead yourself, to be a group of friends, like one, two, okay. It's not really leading, but it's, it's you know, some sort of small leadership there. But when you are, you know, expanding, mm-hmm. And people are naturally looking up to you somehow. I mean, they are expecting stuff. So you need to prove yourself, although you didn't ask for this. You know, I mean, you kind of ask because you started it, but you don't imagine all this mm-hmm. you know, process. So in a way, being forced to grow as a person, 
I think that uh, certainly somehow I'm forcing myself to uh, feel proud <laughs> somehow. And uh, but it is uh, objectively speaking, I think it's an accomplishment somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, learning new stuff, new. So we are dealing with so many geographies, people in so many countries with. Uh, you know, people from Japan, China, for example, I didn't even know that there were so many Japanese people in Brazil, right? So dealing with a Japanese uh, person who has both cultures, kind of, you know, Brazilian, Mm -hmm. speaking Portuguese, but still very Japanese at core, it's like very, it's just as an an example, but we spoke, I don't know, with Swahili, Zulu, I don't know, whatever, So it's very interesting, but also you need to adapt. And I, I don't think with uh, by being just a regular guy and working in a whatever company, you have the chance to get out of your comfort zone and to learn so many things. Mm-hmm. So what's next for Tokinomo in the following 12 months? Right. So first of all, we are uh, very proud of these products and we are uh, really want to scale them up. Mm-hmm. But also we now we can name ourselves that we are not we are no longer a one product company. So we mm-hmm. are trying to build an ecosystem of solutions that will help uh, re- both retailers and CPG brands to be more successful. And uh, we are planning to expand on that. We have some pretty big plans also for the coming years and some of the ideas which I don't necessarily want to share but I think they are pretty surprising and uh, pretty ambitious and uh, I'm quite uh, you know confident uh, about uh, our future and yeah it started like uh, maybe a gadget a small quirky idea but now it turns out that uh, we have a, somehow a company some you know tens of uh, em- Uh, employees, uh, many, I don't know, it's uh, mm-hmm. somehow a miracle, but I'm grateful. So. Well, we can't wait to follow your journey more into becoming an introvert, extrovert, ambivert. <laughs> Thank you so much, the Recursive Community. Thank you uh, for our, to our guests today. And if you want to keep up with us, follow us on all the channels. Next on the Recursive Podcast entrepreneur and investor Andrei Pitish. There's this test, uh, we use it also in innovation, it's Tell called me. PCM, Process Communication Model. It's, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, and there's a test, and I, I always thought I was a, a thinker, you know, because, you know, I was good at math when I was uh, young, so I thought, you know, I'm a thinker. But no, I mean, I took this test and uh, it turns out I'm a promoter, which is like 5% of the people in the world. I mean, I do something, And then I think if it was good or not, you know. So, <laughs> okay. so, the, so the entrepreneurs are the ones that do, okay. not the ones that think. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.